the technology is rising exponentially as change is happening faster and faster. There's also an exponential rise in mindfulness, meditation, breathing, being aware, slowing down. So all these things are happening so that we can in fact live in each moment so that we can deal with the exponential change and the rate of adaptability that we're being asked to have at the moment. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are just some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Today we have not one, not two, but three guests who are masters at unlocking human potential and catalyzing change. Our first guest is the former co-CEO of Singularity U Australia, advisor with Wavia, and the CEO of Utopia X. She is a sought-after speaker, facilitator, and program designer who has disrupted current mindsets with her moonshot thinking. Creating highly customized programs for clients like Deloitte, IAG, and Entrepreneurs Organization. Let's welcome Christina Jerichidis. Hello, Craig. Hey, Sam. Hi, Nick. Hey. Hello, hello. So looking forward to this conversation. Uh, good fun. Good, good people here. Joining Christina is a strategic communications expert, speechwriter, and presenter who is passionate about helping people discover and craft their story. With his exceptional ability to design strategic communications for companies like ANZ and Navia, and has written TED, South by Southwest, and vivid talks for individuals, taught presentation and pitching skills to companies like IAG as well, and IBM. He's trained iconic company, Australian companies such as NAB and Westpac on leadership and influence, and has ventured back into the world of high school education. Please welcome Nick Harding. Hey. Hey, thank you, Craig. Very much looking forward to today's uh, podcast. This is absolutely what all teachers are obsessed with at the moment. They take a bit of a defensive posture. How do we deal with chat GPT and, and plagiarism? But I kind of look at it as an amazing opportunity. So this is going to be fascinating. Oh, straight off the bat, Nick Harding's coming out with a bold statement. Uh, our third guest is a is the CEO and founder of the Speakers Institute group of companies. He is a co-founder with myself at Speakers Institute Corporate, multi-talented entrepreneur, author of 11 books, including five international bestsellers, and a keynote speaker who has inspired audiences around the globe. He has been recognized as both the Young Australian of the Year and Edupreneur of the Year for his astounding contribution to education and leadership. Please welcome Sam Cawthorn. Thank you very much. And yes, I'm also looking forward to having a chin wag with these amazing, good looking folks. Yes. And today we're going to be diving deep into the world of artificial intelligence and the future of learning. So exciting to go into this space. Now, Christina, you're at the forefront when it comes to technology and so the evolution of spaces like the metaverse and artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, and the list goes on. What, ha what is on your mind at the moment as what you think the big thing is going to happen by the end of 2023 in regards to artificial intelligence? What are we going to see? Oh, that is such a huge question. We are living in the um, in the time of the great convergence. Is my my answer to that? Everything is coming together. I think there's a, a saying that that a lot of people are using at the moment: everything, everywhere, all at once, uh, and that's exactly how it feels. 
Um, so I think there's this huge convergence. We don't even know what the metaverse means yet. People have got different definitions. Web 3.0, if you talk to 10 different organisations, they've got 10 different ideas around what that might be. Chat GPT, um, Baird, all the rest of them, the, like there's four or five of them. It's not just Chat GPT at the moment, It's but they're all, they're morphing every day. In fact, it's really interesting um, to note that yesterday there was a letter uh, sent out that said or asked for a hold, like a six-month hold on um, on training all these tools while we actually get our heads around what it is. And it was signed by people like Wozniak, um, Elon Musk, Yuval Harari, so all these high-end thinking, futuristic type of people are going, can we just pause because it's moving so quickly and we don't actually know where it's going. Mm -hmm. And I I guess, so where do I think it's going to be by 2023? I think humans, our humanity is going to be A, challenged, and I believe our humanity is going to win. I think the ethical discussions that all these things are being, that are triggering or being triggered by the events of what happening at the moment will um, our humanity will win out. There's more and more people going, "Hey, let's just you know let's democratize democracy. Let's um, take the politics out of politics. Let's reinvent education, which is you know we've been talking about that for how many years now. So I think I think as long as we keep that agility and adaptability, I don't really know where 2023 is going to end. I mean, who would have thought that you know six months ago you never would have imagined that ChatGPT would be in the headlines. Um, as much as it is now, four years ago, you never would have imagined that we would have been in a pandemic. Um, so I, I tend to go, we need to be adaptable. Our future is adaptable. It always has been. It's just adapting at a faster rate um, at the moment. So probably maybe not the answer, the definitive answer um, that some people are seeking, but the the definitive stance in that is that we need to keep changing. It's not something new. We've been changing forever. People go, oh, you know, we we don't adapt well, we don't change. Well, we've been changing forever. Like have a look at, you know, 10 years ago, what you were wearing, what you were thinking, how you were were walking around, all that kind of stuff. You're doing it completely different now. We're traveling differently, all all that kind of thing. So we change and adapt every single day, but we just don't realize how fast we're doing it. And before I stop talking and let someone else have a go, I also believe that as the technology is rising exponentially, as change is happening faster and faster, there's also an exponential rise in mindfulness, meditation, breathing, being aware, slowing down. So all these things are happening so that we can, in fact, live in each moment so that we can deal with the exponential change and the rate of adaptability that we're being asked to have at the moment. And that's a wrap for today's podcast. No, <laughs> uh, great, uh, some great insights there. And I'm going to go to Nick in a second here, but it's interesting. I believe the first artificial intelligence program was written 70 years ago. Uh, so it, it's been around a long time, 60, 70 years ago. Um, so it's taken a long time to really get to the forefront. But talking about the evolution of education, I think the first laptop, personal laptop was 1984. Nick, from an ethical perspective, now being back in you know the high school education system, doing some work there, what is the big ethical discussions that are being currently had and how is that shaping the evolution of education? Well, it's a huge question. Uh, being back in schools is fascinating. My background is in uh, English literature, and I've spent a bunch of time teaching Year 12 students Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mary Shelley, Mary Shelley was a fascinating person. She wrote Frankenstein at the age of 18, published at the age of 19, and it went on to uh, change science fiction uh, history forever. And that story is about a person who... Uh, creates something. So Victor Frankenstein creates this uh, creature and then he treats the creature badly or underestimates it. It turns around and attacks him. And so a lot of teachers are viewing uh, machine learning, AI, particularly chat GPT, as a potential Frankenstein's monster. Uh, It's something that's been generated and it may very much turn around and smash us. Uh, So hopefully it doesn't turn out to be a, a Skynet Terminator 2 type of scenario, but there is that vibe in the air, which is we don't know how powerful this thing is, how's it going to have an impact on us? So specifically, the first thing is we're concerned about students cheating, which, you know, plagiarism is a bad thing, cheating is a bad thing in and of itself, but more than that, just the idea that you can plug in any question and it can give you an answer, which in many ways is... um, 
almost identical to what a real human being could produce. So therefore, uh, you can't pick them up for cheating and they haven't actually learned the materials. So that's a concern. But I think that's a base level concern. I'm more concerned about a thing called uh, Bloom's taxonomy. So Bloom's taxonomy is basically a triangle and it's how humans deal with information. So at the bottom of it is the basic stuff. Remembering is things. Is it really cheating though? Come on, is it really well, cheating? Well, that's that, the way I view it is bring it on. Like if, if, a, if a kid puts something into chat GPT and it spits it out, firstly, I'm like 99% sure I can tell. And secondly, you know, it's a, it's a great research tool because they can put in their question, get four different answers, get them, and then start to kind of review them and evaluate them and choose the best one. But kids are kids. They won't do that. They'll just but plug it in, get it out, chuck it in. The, and the I agree. Thing that I agree I, yeah, look, the interesting thing that I've noticed with education in general, though, is the moment that they don't quite understand it, they ban it. And and I'm not sure if that's the right reaction to these mm. type of, you know, innovations and things that are going on in the world. Uh, I, I do know that there is a school here in Tasmania that have actually embraced it and embraced it so much that they're even encouraging the teenagers to do their assessments by utilising it as well. But that is a very, very rare case. It took about three months for the very first school to ban chat G GPT uh, uh, after it was released. And then every single school, you know, thereafter, or the majority of schools that I know of, you know, just done a, a blanket ban across the board. But does that then mean, just out of curiosity, because obviously I bring on students, you know, I bring on people that graduate from school. Does that then mean that if, if one of my staff members who, who's, let's say, is a copywriter, uses chat GPT, does that mean that they're cheating in their job? No chance. I'm encouraging them to use it. But, but their job, mean, we're we're their educating job, them the wrong done. way. But huh? their job is to get the job done. It's all about results. So you, you say write a blog that talks about Speaks Institute, uh, they farm it out, they write the blog, everyone's happy. Yep. That's not school's job. School's job is to help the kid learn how to write the blog. And if they don't have that writing skill, uh, that could be a problem. I, I disagree. They have to learn how to use technology to get the job done. I disagree Correct. because Correct. ultimately technology will disrupt every single area. So the job of the teacher is to ensure that that student knows how to create, innovate, think differently to get any job done. It's and not about doing the job themselves. I disagree. And can I just add something? So for me, when I first heard, I mean, it, there were news articles and professors were saying, hey, you know, every plagiarism and testing and, and assessments and, and essay, and I'm going, why are people still writing essays in 2023 um, as part of it, everything, shouldn't everything be project-based learning? And I'll just add one more word, Sam, to what you said, and that's curiosity. And if they don't know the right questions to ask, ChatGPT is not going to help them. And it's like saying when they get out into the workforce, they're not going to use ChatGPT, which is a lot of, or, or its equivalent, which they may or may not do. Like, I don't know. It's do you guys remember Karate Kid? Remember Karate Kid when he says, you know, wax on, wax off, and the kid does wax on, wax off, and at the end of it he's like, this is the dumbest thing ever. You wasted my time. And then he goes to punch him in the head and he goes, and he does wax on. And he goes to punch him in the head again. And he goes, wax off. And he realizes that by doing this seemingly random tangential exercise, he's actually learned some skills. That's education in a nutshell. I'm not teaching kids how to write a blog because they're going to, out, going to go out and be bloggers. I'm teaching them how to think. So I'm not teaching the thing. So, uh, Sam, it's great that you have someone who can, you know, uh, farm something out and then, you know, write the question in such a way, get a few different responses, evaluate them, consider them, hybridise them, choose the best. That's awesome. But that person is educated. They've actually, they're, they're using their critical thinking. I don't, I don't want my 14-year-olds to skip the stage of critical thinking. So, so, so when I hear that chat GPT-4 can now pass the bar exam in US in the top 10%, does that then mean that maybe law in general could then be obsolete? Nah. Or maybe the bar exam itself could be obsolete. Maybe we have to re-engineer how assessments, exams, um, you know, are, are done be, be, because 
you know, maybe we need to reassess how it's actually done. Maybe the education system needs to be educated themselves. But I, before I throw it to Christina, I'd say with that particular question, maybe we're setting the bar too low. Order in the court. Order in the court. I heard a quote that may actually be very useful here um, around Chat GPT, and I I can't remember where I heard it because I've been listening to so much stuff, um, which is a very educated word. Stuff. It's a very creative word. Um, but but it, the the quote was, Chat GPT and the like will make productive people more productive and lazy people more lazy. And that I think we're all kind of agreeing with that. And with that, yeah, it's a great quote. Um, I will go back and find out where I read it or, or who I heard it from. But, Sam, you hit the nail on the head because education has been trying to reinvent itself for so long and all we do is keep adding all these layers on it. And the people that are leaving the teaching profession, you know, Nick, all credit to you for going back into it. And my favourite teacher was my English teacher for exactly the reason that you just said. It's that th there's nothing like that literature in the English for me that, that opened curiosity, right? And so you're you're spot on when you're saying that's what you're teaching people to do. Unfortunately, I have them at university. Um, at and and this is what really did my head in, and that's why I can't get over the arguments that are happening at the moment around around um, things like ChatGPT. But it was like so we were teaching entrepreneurship, and I had no say into what the the um, the ass assignment was. And the assignment was write an essay. And not only was the assignment, the assignment stayed the same for four years. And this is on an entrepreneurship course. And I'm just, I had to quit. Like, I just went, I can't read one more. Like, there's just such a disparate um, gap. There's this huge gap between what, they, what they're learning at universities, not all universities, some have got amazing programs, um, and what happens, as Sam indicated, when they get out into the workforce. And it's not like an, a workforce is going to go, hey, come and work for one of our big organisations, but don't use your computer. Don't don't use anything that's going to make life easier. So I think there's that whole integration, just like we integrated laptops and the internet. And look, let's face it, ChatGPT right now is just a search engine. So mm -hmm. you A, if you put something into ChatGPT, you actually have to go around and research it to make sure that what you're getting is the truth and it's factual. Um, and then you have to make it sound a bit better than what ChatGPT spits out. Like I I've used it to up update my bio, clearly not the one that uh, you, you read out just before, Craig, but, you know, and, and I went, oh, I really like those words and those words I don't like. And this sounds like me, but that doesn't sound like me. So, you know, it's a tool and it's going to make productive people more productive and lazy people more lazy. Yeah, well, what I, was, what I was saying about the uh, Bloom's taxonomy is once you go from kind of the base, which is just remembering comprehension, then you go up to like analysis, when you get all the way up to the top, you're, you're talking um, evaluation and creativity. And so that's the human pointy end of the pyramid, which is um, chat GPT and machine learning and other technologies can come in and they can data scrape uh, the wealth of human experience, at, at least the stuff that's on the internet and not everything's on the internet. They can they can data scrape that, summarise it, harmonise it, and that's great, but can they apply it? Can they evaluate it? Can they make what you just said, Dan, which is a really sophisticated um, evaluation of does that sound like me? Does that sound authentic? Sure, it might be accurate, but does it sound as though that chimes with all the other stuff I've put out there in my bio? And so that ability to have critical thinking, that that's the type of stuff that we need to be teaching. We need to be teaching critical thinking, not necessarily uh, some of the older things we're teaching. Mm. It's quite interesting. You know, we talk about questions here and, you know, the old saying, an answer's only as good as a question. Now, that's a very appropriate for chat GPT right now because it's quite linear in the way it answers. You, you put in the question, you give it the parameter, it'll give you an answer. Now, if I ask the same question with the same parameters to a human being, they will then humanize it in a way to make sense of it. Or, or bring more context to it. Uh, so I'll give you an example. Like I had uh, a colleague of mine put in Craig Johns, uh, elite triathlete speaker in and wanted to get a bio and five tips. Now it came back with uh, born in Australia in 1984, which uh, makes me younger, which I'm, I'm quite happy about. And apparently I'm born in Australia now. Um, but then the five quotes it gave me, uh, he was like, oh, how good are the quotes? Are they your quotes? And I went, no, not a chance. Um, but I said maybe they could be 50% right. So 
the that contextualizing from a human point of view is still important because it is quite literal versus more of a lateral thinking that you know nick you're talking about there the importance of that uh, so sam i'm quite curious for you how do you think workplace learning will change as a result of artificial intelligence yeah look it's 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 interesting right and and i'll answer i'll um i'll frame it in this way but i also go back to what we were talking about earlier on so listen to this if i said to my teenage kid hey look it's all about what you ask chat gpt in order for you to get the answer do you know what they would then do they would then go to chat gpt and say what would be the questions that i would need to ask so i can <laughs> they would so, 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 so for me, it's, it's, it still would make people lazy. Maybe you don't have to come up with the questions. Maybe they can actually come up with the questions for you so you can then ask it back so you can then get the answer that you want. <laughs> the simplicity of, of, of making things easier using AI, I think is going to be nothing short of extraordinary. So, so in general, uh, and then now going back to your question, the moment that chat GDP came out, GPT came out, as well as also other AI softwares are out there, such as image creation, video creation, et cetera. So I've got a full-time um, graphic designer. I've got a full-time video editor. I've got a full-time, you know, copywriter. I've got a full-time, um, you know, a web developer, et cetera. Now, in every single one of these spaces in the last three months have been completely disrupted totally disrupted so you know what i i've then said to all of my team i said i want a minimum of 100 percent more productivity than what you were giving me to all of them and i said this is a non-negotiable which then means you must use ai in order for for the mundane tasks or the non-creative tasks in order for you to smash out more work and every single one of them through through that through that pressure and that encouragement of them, they're all all of them are now using AI, which is awesome. I'm also encouraging my students that that are building their profile, writing blogs, getting videos out, et cetera, in social media, images, et cetera. I'm I'm encouraging them all. This is how you use AI. This is how you can build your profile better using AI. This is how you can fill up a room using AI. This is how you can get more sales, do marketing better, all using AI. So the bottom line is, if education are not embracing how young people can use AI in the up-and-coming jobs that are coming through, they are doing the market a disservice, period. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But I'd also add... Oh, oh, and I'd also add that. So I've just I'm launching a book, twentieth of April. If this goes out before then, everybody's welcome. If it goes out after that, please have a look at the book, "Celebrating Success One Failure at a Time." I wasn't going to do that, but I just did. Um, and I had the option to actually put the whole script through Chat GPT, and I chose not to. Um, and I chose not to because I didn't want to have to go back and edit it for the fiftieth time um, and go, "Does this now sound like me?" because I wanted it to have that authentic voice. If there's a grammar error in there, it'll really upset me because we've checked it for grammar 50,000 times already. Um, but but I chose not to do it. So I think along with, I think you don't know what you don't know. So very much aligned with what you just said, Sam, you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know how to use it, then you cannot enhance any opportunity with it. But just because there's another saying that says, just because we can, should we? Um, so just because they can put all those things together, should they use them all the time? And there's instances absolutely where it's going to make life much easier, much simpler. It's going to be more expressive. You can now use animation to do almost film quality animation if you have the right programs. And you can come up with a seven-minute video in about 10, 10 hours, which is like crazy. But you still need or there's still scope to have that. You know, it, Chat GPT is only what humans have already fed into the machine. And yep. we haven't reached the point And it's yet. a little bit biased as well, if I may Definite. say. Definite. <laughs> yeah, very, very much uh, leaning to one particular side of politics. I mean, just back to what Sam said about the uh, you know, AI being able to pass the bar exam, that's that's great and all for, for law, but there's that wonderful expression, there's a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. So... Uh, it, it's humans with their humane 
uh, ability to discern that can tell the difference. So if I'm, if I'm in a small country town and I'm sitting at a red light and it's two o'clock in the morning and there's no other cars for uh, 20 kilometres and I'm waiting for the light to go green and I sit there for 20 minutes and then I, I think, you know what, I'm just going to go. There's no one around and I drive through it and then a cop pulls up and they say, okay, well, you can't do that. It's illegal. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But it's not as though there was a safety issue. And we might get into a dialogue discussion about the fact that, okay, technically, probably ill-advised, but I didn't put anyone's life in danger. It wasn't really a safety issue. And so there's a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And so computers can can work things out, but it's garbage in, garbage out. They're just zeros and ones. And as much as I, I love them, I love live half my life online, there's there's the humane ability to lean in and to say, yeah, I know what the law says or I know what the program says, but in this case, we're going to uh, uh, feel the spirit of the thing. We're going to go perhaps transcend uh, the law or the algorithm. So we've got to be uh, keeping that in mind. For you, Nick, uh, you know, working in schools, how has the the role like say ai how is that shifting the role of teachers and in regards to the way that you know they work with students in a school situation at the moment as uh sam said uh we're a little bit like luddites those people in like the 18th century who when when new technology came along freaked out and said burn it all um and we are taking a defensive posture, which is this will be used for cheating and being lazy and not learning the skills that you need to learn. It's going to morph into us starting to leverage it and use it. Because um, I mean, if they can use it to create an essay, can't we use it to create a lesson plan? So it's going to be used. Um, I think in a perfect world, what I'd like to see it used for is for us to create a proper flipped classroom. And a flipped classroom is this idea that uh, instead of going to school nine to three, Monday through Friday, and getting the content during the day, what you actually do is give uh, kids uh, CD-ROMs, DVDs, websites, uh, all the content in whatever form it happens to be at night. And so they watch it the night before, and when they come into class, you actually do homework in class because you've got access to the teacher and they can uh, give you feedback, they can give you guidance, uh, they can help you out. I would like to see um, machine learning and AI, et cetera, get through the basic content and help the students get a handle on things so quickly that I can get down to what proper teaching is. Proper teacher, teaching isn't me lecturing. That's the boring stuff. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer to have it filmed, locked and load, the kids watch the night before. But the proper teaching is um, we sit around, we talk about the ideas and they they give me their work, whether it's written or whatever, and I can give them feedback. I mean, we find that at Speaks Institute and Speaks Institute Corporate, which is sure our information is world class, but it's all about feedback. It's all about, you know, you've got this content, you've started to internalize it, you're starting to get your head around it, speak it back to us and we'll um we'll give you feedback. I would love to see teaching be like ninety percent feedback. How far away from an AI teacher 100% for online schools, Nick? Uh, 17 months. I, I made that up. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> it's not that good yet. It's seriously no, not it's that not good yet. Only as good as the people that are feeding it the information. So, it. But what it will. So in in um, extending what Nick just said, it will allow for greater um, perspectives on customized learning. So. The, the danger for me is that you go to school to open your mind to learn things that you never would have learned before, right? So you don't know what you don't know. School opens up, should open up that that portal for you so that you find out about Bach and Beethoven and, and you know, the Beatles and the band that came out last week if you're doing music and you find out about every single artist under the sun, whatever. So then you know whether you have a passion for art or a passion for music or a passion for literature or science or, or whatever that is because we don't know until we get into that situation we don't know. There is the, a great propensity in high schools to lean in to customise learning using AI in exactly the same way that Nick just said. So that would be that's going to be amazing. Um, and the other thing it's AI is already doing in um, in lower socioeconomic countries is it's democratising education. 
So it's what we're finding now is that there's um, courses available on on programmed um, on program devices that will teach children in third world countries, lower socioeconomic countries, basic literacy and numeracy that was never mm. there before. So that is one of the most amazing things that that AI technology has allowed to come through. So, you know, it, I have this thing about um, we exist at the intersection of the value of humanity with the value of technology. So the values of humanity, sorry. And everything has to be driven by the human. We, we're all here on this planet to make humans live a better life, right? To, to all ships rise, bring everybody up together, create the equality that we know doesn't exist in the world. And I think that's where we can utilise AI for good. And let's face it, whether you use it for good or bad, and they're judgment words and I don't really like using them, whether you use it for good or bad depends on the individual, you know. So if I'm a, a reasonably kind, compassionate person, I'm going to use any any AI technology to make the world a better place. And if I just want to, if I'm feeling like I've been ripped off and, and put down and I've been bullied and whatever and, I, and I've, I'm really down, then I'm going to use AI to make sure I pull everyone else down. It's the human behind the technology and that's what we need to be aware of. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm oh, sorry, Craig, I was just going to say um, one of the, the, you could say, you know, bad things about um, this technology is that it is automatic and robotic and perhaps doesn't have the human spirit. The other flip side of the coin is that can be a good thing. I mean, imagine the patience of an AI teacher. They don't get frustrated. They don't get annoyed. They don't say, I've explained this to you 20 times, step up. It just keeps explaining and going and going. As long as you keep asking questions, it's infinitely patient. So for introverts or people who are really struggling with the language or people who are uh, cognitively a little bit slow in that particular subject, they're, they're going to love it. Hmm. Sam, when does your role as a speaker become redundant and you become extinct on this planet? Never. Yeah, no, look, it never happened. Human beings, we still have this analog um, heart set, without a doubt. And I think Anders Sorman Nielsen, who's a fellow speaker of mine, put it beautifully, and this was like six years ago. He wrote a book called uh, Digilog, you know, blurring the lines between our digital minds and our analog hearts, you know. So, so we still want that high touch. You know, even though I can order Uber Eats and have it all nicely out, there's nothing greater than when you go physically out to a restaurant and you sit out, sit down and you can see, you can experience, have human connection uh, and the like. And I think that's across the board, whether it's going to be in the classroom for education or whether it's going to be in a conference uh, or the like. And it's really interesting. Everyone sort of was quite worried after pandemic. We're thinking, is everything now going to be all online? Uh, is this the end of in-person physical events? And it was far from it. Even this year now in 2023, there's been an unprecedented uh, amount of in-person events. Though the the interesting thing is it's uh, there's a lot of it now hybrid. You know, recently I did, a, did an event for a, a Fortune 100 company and normally they would have uh, people from five or six countries or fly into one location. Instead, they still have it physically, but also in these five or six different countries. So you might have had a speaker in one country, another speaker in another country, another speaker in another country, and so on and so forth. And so then they sort of, uh, it was very hybrid. Some of it live was in one country, some of it online and live was in another, et cetera. So they still uh, required that as well. So I think there's still some cost-saving measures for conferences, events, summits, uh, and the like, for you to make it more hybrid. But certainly, we we want that high touch as human beings. There's an there's this analog side of humans where we want to physically handshake someone rather than saying hello on a computer screen. We've discussed a lot so far about more of the Chat GPT and and even you know, artificial intelligence. If we Look a bit broader, Christina, what are some of the other technologies that you're seeing that are, are shaping the workforce, maybe the way that we need to learn about our roles in the workforce or the way we do things? Uh, what do you see happening in that space? Uh, adaptability is a word I used before. Uh, one of my colleagues at, at Singularity says that the uh, Dr. Vivian Ming said the only skill we're going to need is to be um, a creative, adaptive problem explorer. So she didn't even say problem solver. She said problem explorer. Um, and, and I find, so 
soft skills on the rise, which very much backs up what Sam just said about that humanity, that analog um, part of us. And something else that's come to light recently as well, uh, we did some work in a with a, a, a commercial development organization. So they they you know they lease out places to to clients who then have clients come in. Uh, and I bumped into quite accidentally one of their young interns. And I said to her, this is not long after everybody had started returning to work. I said, how are you finding, you know, do you want to come back to work five days a week? What's it? She said, oh my God, I just want to be here all the time because I don't, I'm not learning. I'm not talking to anybody. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I don't know if I'm doing the right job. I really want that mentoring. So when we actually went back to the organization and said, hey, yes, it's great that, you know, your, your managers don't need to come in maybe more than one or two days a week, but there's this real craving for connection, learning, mentoring from the interns, the the new graduates, et cetera. And that put a different spin on it for them. And they then committed to coming back an extra day a week, which they started to enjoy because they thought they were, or they knew that they were being valued. Um, so I, I think there is, as I mentioned earlier, the, the convergence um, and the hybridness of life so there are people that connected with family members overseas during the pandemic that they never would have connected with before. There was, there was almost this closeness or closerness of your extended family if you had some living overseas. Um, so that was a really good thing. It upgraded every a lot of people's technology skills. Uh, so, you know, a, a lot of elderly grandparents were all of a sudden learning how to use FaceTime because they wanted to connect with grand, and that never would have happened before. So I, and I, So what we're seeing is, a world without limits. Um, if you have a look at things like Microsoft Mesh, you know, it's it's kind of like Iron Man in reality. I had the, the glasses on and I'm pressing buttons in the air and picking up roses and handing them to other people. And, you know, and people can actually work in real time side by side, even though they might be in different countries around the world and they're touching the same same kind of things, right? So that is absolutely amazing. So it's opening up opportunities that we probably don't even know how to utilise to their full extent yet. Uh, and if you, so I, I heard somebody say the other day, every organization now needs an AI officer um, to stay abreast, to know what's going on, to bring whatever suits into the organization. But, you, you know, I'll go back again and say, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know that the metaverse offers you amazing opportunities to gather um, without having to gather everybody in the one area for four or five times a year, that's fantastic. But you know what? One of the very first jobs I did post-pandemic uh, was for an organisation that flew 40 people in from around the world. The program, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it now. The program started, we started 20 minutes late because they could not hug each other enough. They could not, like being in that one room all together was such a highlight that I just went, just let it go. I'll make up the time, like, like let them hug. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it's hybrid. It is. It's a hybrid. It's a convergence of everything we know. Mm, fascinating. Now, before COVID come along, Sam, you, your, your company, Speakers Institute, was a global company. And so it had very much a hybrid feel to it. You had an uh, had a in-person office in Sydney. You had people based in uh, different parts of the world. You had uh, another kind of office in there in the Philippines. Uh, where people were physically there together. Now everything is totally remote. Everyone is working from their own homes. There's no one in the same space. How how are you finding, uh, first of all, being able to keep that human social connection there? And now how are you using technology to even enhance the social connectedness and those human touch points? Yeah, look, look, we we certainly haven't got it right, but there are a number of things where you know where people just want to feel connected, uh, and so there there are always ways where we can you know do various games or connection activities each day, each week, uh, through various online platforms uh, and the like, and even encourage each other. Uh, as well. So we, we do do a number of things here. I do know that both you and Nick, you're actually also part of a larger team as well. Uh, how, how do you both feel connected yet at the same time, you know, you, you, you're a part of a team here where you've got facilitators in what, six or seven different countries, yet you're all still quite connected. I'd love to also hear from you what you feel is working well and how you're, you're, you, you still feel connected, yet at the same time you half of them haven't even met each other before. 
Is, is that right? Nick, you're, you're a part of a large team. How, how do you yeah, feel? Connected? The, the first answer is beer. Beer is very important. So uh, Craig took me out for a beer the other day. We went to uh, the Bavarian Beer House, you know, sitting with our, our team just having, I may have had three. Some would argue one too many. I, I don't want to say that out loud. But <laughs> but I reckon, I reckon it's about, uh, I think hybrid is the, the key word. So we have we have both online and offline, and there's, there's very much a sense that, you know, Craig doesn't live um, within Sydney. So when he comes down, he lets us know and says, hey, I'll be in Sydney on Saturday, uh, swim by the office, say hello to people, and then we'll, you know, go and have a, a beer and a schnitzel afterwards. So there's very much a sense of let's do o- offline and online. And I actually think even if you're just doing uh, online, there's a sense that you have uh, the time when you're being purposeful to just get stuff done, run through the run sheet, do a tech check, but also just have a little bit of uh, touching base. So oftentimes when we jump online, there's a sense of we'll have the water cooler talk done digitally. We'll we just jump on, hey, how are you doing? Everyone has a bit of a chat, a bit of a laugh, etc. maybe share some kind of, you know, memes on Slack and that type of stuff, and then we kind of get down to business. So mm. I think the, the beautiful thing about um, being online and offline is making sure that everyone everyone gets a chance to kind of connect in the proper way. I'll give an example. My my producer, Nathan Bennett, used to run Twitch in Australia. And if you don't wow. know what Twitch is, it's basically uh, YouTube for gamers. And so I was having a chat to him about creating a YouTube show and how long would we need to, to make it, et cetera, et cetera. And the big push for YouTube is shorter attention spans, make it short, sharp and shiny, under 10 minutes. You know, if you can get involved in their, you know, Instagram reels or just keep it short, sharp and shiny. And he said, that's fine, but have a look at what people really want. They may have digital minds, but they have analog hearts. Over on Twitch, people are quite happy to watch a person play a video game for like four, five hours. Like the, and, they, and they do that because people follow people. I don't know if you've read that book. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But people do follow people and they want to just be in the presence. So Christina was saying this intern wants to be in the presence of the team because there's stuff that exists in the job description and in how you're supposed to do it and in all the, the run sheets. Yep. But there's all this stuff that spills out over the sides that if the mentor was there, they'd say, oh, yeah, don't worry about that, but definitely worry about this. And it's those those human moments which yep. are a little less um, you know, serendipitous and unscripted that yeah. are magic. Yeah, hey, um, Craig, can I also throw the question to you as well? Because what? Because I actually think that you're that you are world class in what you've done. You, you you build a business from scratch. Yet most most of the team members, most of the staff, most of the core team have never physically met each other at all. Yet the yet the camaraderie, the mateship, and the connectedness is quite extraordinary. Do you have some specific tips on helping people? Uh, good question, Sam. And look, and thank you, by the way. Uh, it's beautiful. You know, we have 10, uh, sorry, we have team members in 10 countries. Uh, we, we've worked in 60 across the world in the last three or oh, two and a half years, which is quite phenomenal in a way when you think about it. And But I, I love the fact that we can be very global, live in completely different places, but be highly connected and understand each other's worlds uh, and, and have different perspectives all the time. I think for us, the biggest thing is making sure everyone feels like they're involved. Yeah. And so whether you're back office or front office, so to speak, you get that chance to feel and breathe and touch everything that is part of dealing with a client and dealing with all the fun, exciting things like a program and people facilitating or speaking. We make sure people have an opportunity to be involved. And so my encouragement for companies is to think about how can each person in that organization have the opportunity to touch, feel, and be part of, not not literally all the time, what the outcome of the work that they're doing. You know, because a lot of people do work that the outcome is indirect of what they do. So think about, was it JFK went to NASA and it was the, the janitor sweeping the floors and he asked him, you know, what do you do? And he said, I put a man on the moon. So that person had been integrated into the outcome and the purpose of what their organization is doing. I think if you can do that, that's a big step. And do you then use sec- any AI tools to do that? Just out of curiosity. 
to, to put a man on the moon. On <laughs> uh, do I use any AI tools? I mean, I'm sure I do without me really knowing that they're happening. Um, yeah. yeah as, as I said yesterday, I jumped in the car and it automatically told me at five o'clock in the morning that my destination was Mingara uh, Fitness Center. <laughs> and, and it was like, do you want to push go type thing? Um, in regards to the business, do we have AI specific for it? No, not at the moment. We, yeah. We're very much human touch, uh, in, but we do use a lot of technology. We are obviously using computers and technology to communicate with people. And a lot of the clients will come to us and say, um, but you can't connect with people. And I'm like, you can actually have a more intimate relationship with some people online than you can in person. Think about this. If I'm in a room of 10 people for one hour, my direct eye-to-eye contact with them is likely to be less than 30 seconds, maybe less than 20 seconds, direct eye-to-eye contact. Now, you put me in front of a camera, if I know how to use a camera online and I'm holding your attention through engagement, you're going to be looking straight back in that ca- or on that screen at least and close to the camera. I'm only 30 centimeters away from this camera. You're only, you know, maybe 30 to 50 centimeters away. We're really only one meter away. That's pretty intimate. That's pretty close. And you can tell a lot through the eyes. So I think if you learn to use technology well, you can actually enhance the relationship. And I think that's really important. One of the biggest things that we've seen missed in the world of, you know, teams or, you know, being in a team environment or corporate when we went to COVID, where everyone went from working to home was those spontaneous conversations. Now, the opportunities are still there online. You just have to pick up the phone. I mean, I think people have forgotten to pick up their phone and call people uh, without having to book an appointment. You know what? Just send them a text message or give them a call. They might be available. Uh, so, yeah, look, it, it's it's the same principles apply that people want to feel heard. They want to feel seen and they want to be part of something. So how can you make that happen? I think is, is a simple case. Now we're coming to to the end of this conversation and I think back to when I was a young child and it was I think Michael J Fox was on it um back to the future and you think about what was on those type of programs then and what's come to reality now so thinking about uh back to the future in a way what are we going to see come the year uh let, let's put it out there we're currently at 2023 so let's look at uh, 2100 what do you think we're going to see in this world that's going to be shaping the conversations and discussions we have in regards to the way we learn that's seven in 78 years time yes 78 years time you'll be able to plug in you won't have to learn anything you'll be able to plug in uh, you'll still need that curiosity mindset. In my world, um, what that will do is it will allow greater time for connectedness with spirit, with my essence, uh, because that's something that we haven't spoken about. And quantum computing is going to just blow the lid on what that spiritual essence, that, that vibrational energy particle of us is, because we are simply, I mean, science has proven that everything is is vibrating energy um, and we will be able to delve closer into that, that for me, there will be this convergence of, of tribal days um, and the, the, you know, in 78 years time and, but we'll be plugged in. So we'll be able to plug in when we want to, we won't need to plug in. We'll be able to breathe when we want to. We'll be, you know, we can, we could actually visualize ourselves on Mars having a holiday or we could go to Mars and have a holiday. I think even 2027, they're hoping to have the space hotel finished. Um, so, you, you know, if you've, if you've got a spare $5 million, you can go and stay there for three nights. Hopefully by in 78 years time, it might cost, you know, a, a half a day's wage or something like that. If there is, I mean, there won't be a half day wage. There won't be a website. There won't be anything like that. We'll have, we'll have very much progressed into the future on that. And we'll, so holoportation, um, will definitely be on the cards. I'll be able to think myself on a Greek island rather than have to get on a plane uh, and travel to the Greek island. I will be able to telepathically communicate uh, because they're already doing things with AI now that can read brains. Um, but I will, I believe I will be more connected to my sense of, of um, energy essence. Mm. And Nick, when you were at school, you had the abacus and I think you had like a blackboard and chalk. Uh, where do you see teaching in the year 2100? 
Oh, two answers. Number one, I have no idea, and that doesn't fill me with dread. That fills me with a sense of kind of a, like uh, curious hope. Um, and two, I think it's going to keep refining and refining until it gets to the absolute essence of what this thing is all about. So when you're writing on the blackboard, there's too much time wasted in how long it takes a human being to write and rub stuff off. And then you move to a whiteboard, it's a little bit faster and more efficient and effective, but you still have the same problem. Then you move to a digital whiteboard and we're, we're starting to speed it up. So the, the speeding up doesn't just mean you get through more work or you're, you know, leveraging the best technology uh, that's cutting edge. What it means is you get to the essence of it, which is let's let's lay the foundation of the stuff we need to know and then further refine what is it, what is it that we need to know. Uh, let, let's assume that uh, AI machine learning and technology ends up doing all the grunt work, like all the mundane stuff. It's not as though people become redundant. That's when we start to do the higher order things that we perhaps viewed as decadent or perhaps indulgent, like ballet and, and opera and those things that um, red, the Red Bull racing team do, you know, mountaineering. You know, why do you go mountaineering? Oh, I climb a mountain because it's there. Like if, if we're freed up from doing the hard yakka of just subsistence farming and having to work the nine to five, if technology can do that for us, we don't become redundant. We get, we get freed up to do whatever we think is truly human and humane and worth our time. I would like to think uh, like Christina, that means leaning more into our spiritual side because uh, that is the true essence of what it's all about. But to be honest, uh, we shall see. <laughs> and Sam, will you still be teaching in 2100? Uh, yeah, look, without a doubt. So I think there's a basement and balcony to it. Okay, so let's ha let's have a look at the basement first. The basement is I think the pandemic will be human beings with zero human touch. And that'll be a pandemic. And we're already starting to see it now in certain CBD areas in throughout Asia, uh, where, where, where people are completely locked into gaming for weeks and months on end and that there's no human touch. I think that'll get worse and we'll see a real dark side of humanity um, come through and that'll be a shame. Uh, so there will be a lot more clinics uh, and um, mental health clinics to really help them and that will be a pandemic. Let's, let's look at the balcony. Balcony is the smart, the clever ones. They'll actually get their digital twins to earn money for them, uh, uh, you know, through Meta. And so then they'll then they will be then chasing um, moments of joy and fulfillment and happiness. Uh, they would be living a more of a lifestyle um, of of connectedness and relationships, uh, and again chasing that joy and fulfillment wherever that might be. So that's how I see it um, in a nutshell. Excellent. And look, Christina, Nick and Sam, uh, what a pleasure having you on today. Normally we do dive into some great questions, but uh, with time and uh, I'm sure we would go for another half an hour if we dove into those last three questions. Um, so it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with all of you today. We will chuck into the show notes some links on ways that people can connect with you. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing insights about how our future is going to look in the world of learning in 21. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and Connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. <laughs>